Welcome to Portraits of Honor. We stand in the swiftly fading shadow of our World War II veterans and heroes who united for a single purpose, to honor life, liberty, and justice for all. They were soldiers and sailors, airmen and mechanics, nurses and pilots, radio operators, ordinary people who did extraordinary things. Our mission is to preserve their stories, to bring their experiences to life for a new generation. This is our tribute, our act of honor. Through their words, we explore the essence of honor and remember the sacrifices that were made. For just the cost of a cup of coffee each month, you can help us preserve their stories. Visit portraitsofhonor.com to learn more. Join us as we journey back in time, as we listen, learn, and remember. This is Portraits of Honor. Let the stories of these heroes begin. This interview is presented in two parts. This is part two. In this episode, we honor the extraordinary life and service of Sergeant Ray Lambert, an Army medic who showed bravery in the face of danger during the invasions of North Africa, Sicily, and D-Day. Despite his injuries, Lambert's heroic actions saved numerous lives. His story of valor, for which he received three Purple Hearts and two Silver Stars, offers a profound insight into the resilience and selflessness of a true war hero. This interview was recorded on August 20, 2019, in Seven Lakes, North Carolina. Um, can you tell just a little bit about the landing in, um, at Normandy? Well, the, uh, we had done, um, I got replacements in England and trained those guys. Uh, we got them in shape. We were doing 50 mile marches over there with full packs and you go out 25 miles, 25 miles back. That's part of our training. And uh, we got to report that we were trained a better shape than any athlete, uh, regardless of what they were, we were in better shape. And I've read that in some of the history books. And so we uh, were in good shape and uh, we loaded these ships in Weymouth uh, there on the 5th. The landing originally was to be on the 5th. The weather was uh, not good at all. So we stayed on the ship that night. And I was on, we were on the Enrico. And so at night, uh, they fed us some, a meal on there of a sort. And the guys were kidding, those that had made the other invasion were kidding about uh, the Last Supper. Uh, this is the Last Supper and three strikes you're out and all that kind of stuff. And that's the sign, that was a sign to me that the guys were nervous. And the soldiers, when they get nervous, they try to, so anyway, uh, we stayed on the ship that night and the guys were writing the last uh, letters home and some were playing cards. There's very little 
space to play cards because there were so many people on this ship that it was just standing room practically only off. No one slept that night, I'm sure. So we, uh, the next morning, the convoy traveled that night. They had the mine sweepers and uh, destroyers that were traveling with us. And we anchored uh, that night, probably uh, early morning, uh, before daylight, of course, 10 miles off the coast. And while we were anchored there, I went up on deck just as it got daylight and looked out, and I've never seen so many ships in my life. I think there was over 5,000 ships there, battleships and everything else. So at time, my brother was up there, so I saw him and we, we chatted a bit about the other invasion, this being our third, and what our parents would be uh, thinking if they knew where we were. And, and they uh, agreed if one of us was killed, the other one would take care of their family. And then they called for time to go down the nets, they go to stations and go down the net. So I checked uh, all my men's equipment, checked theirs, make sure they had the life preservers on, and uh, talked to each one as they come up. I was up at the station and uh, asked them uh, how they were, are you okay, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, every man, every man that I spoke to like that said, I'm ready. And so uh, the company eight men went down with the infantry and their, their boat, and they were getting the waves, so many boats in each wave, as we called it, going in. At that time, the, the waves in the water in the channel was about five feet or so high, quite rough, and this going down the, the nets to get in the Higgins boat, uh, you have to be careful because the boat was beating against the side of the ship. They had two guys usually in the Higgins boat hanging on to the net to try to stabilize that a bit. That, that didn't do too much. So when you get down, you had to jump just at the right time to get in, catch the boat at the right space, otherwise you could break your leg. So anyway, uh, I had seven men with me, and uh, our job was to get in and on on the sand tables that we looked at, it would have been nice to set up an aid station, but it was impossible to set up an aid station on the beach at that time. So we loaded the boats and everyone got seasick because of the smell of the diesel and, and the rendezvous, as they call it, waiting for the waves to all load. Uh, almost every man on the boat was seasick. And if you didn't get seasick from the, from the uh, waves and the diesel smell, every guy, guys were throwing up, the wind was blowing that back all over everyone, so you could get sick from that. Uh, when we got in, uh, the battleships were firing at that time. 
firing onto the beach. And when we got in uh, uh, where we could see the beach uh, and the machine gun firing at us and the other uh, shells landing in there, the battleships had to raise their raise their guns so they'd fire over, over the hills. What did it sound like? It was... Uh, when all that was going on? It was probably uh, the worst electrical and thunderstorm you ever heard in your life. Ten times worse than that. And just constant. You'd have the flashes of guns and the constant sound of bullets flying by you. And as we got in, uh, closer to the shore, the we just, uh, machine gun bullets were hitting the rail on the boat, just like hail. And if you, uh, when we were getting off the boat, if the water was just uh, being pumped up with bullets all around you, and so we had to uh, had to go into that, and it was. Uh, I had told my men, those that had been with me in the other two invasions, which they knew to go underwater as far as you could, try to avoid by hit with a bullet. But uh, the new men, I had told them, and I reminded them before we got off the boat, try to go underwater. But that didn't work there, because they had barbed wire under the water. And mines, and underwater mines. So if you set one of those up, or you get tangled in your bug wire, you're in trouble. Which a lot, a lot did. So I went off. I got a bullet right through my. I didn't say a bullet. It was the, something went right through my right elbow, and I started bleeding pretty bad. But I didn't pay much attention to that. I could still. Uh, work with it and so I started uh, when I got off started uh, getting guys that were drowning uh, and moving forward with them to get them up hopefully where they could uh, join their infantry companies and get off the beach move forward because uh, our job was strictly that to save lives and move the infantry off that beach as quick as we could because everyone was getting killed. And so uh, we were all uh, working together there to save the guys and get them. It was, uh, it was about the, I think roughly about the length of a football field that we had to move with no, no protection of any kind to get up to. There's a little wall up there, a little, was a little rock wall there before a, a little road running past that. So uh, we were trying to get those guys. They had to go through the barbed wire and then they had, uh, the Germans had a tank trap, which was uh, water dug about four feet deep with the barbed wire and mines in front of that. That was to trap the tanks. If they got up, they'd get down in there. So our guys had to get through that. They had to blow up the uh, barbed wire with band players to slip pipe under there and blow them up. Mm -hmm. 
And we were looking right at the one machine gun on the east of it, and one on the west, plus the pillboxes that the Germans had, had uh, machine guns in those, and also uh, the big guns were firing down the beach at it. So that's what we saw, we got in. So, do you remember about how long you were, from the time you got off the Higgins boat, to about two, each wave was about, took about 20 minutes or a little better sometime for each wave to come in and land okay. from now. And uh, the, I remember when the third wave came in, I'd been wounded in the left thigh, took a part of my thigh beat up in the left thigh. That was bothering me uh, quite a lot, but I was still going in the water, getting guys out and dragging guys out, going to guys that were floating to see if they're dead alive. If they were alive, try to save them. If they're dead, just have to leave them. And so we judged by that, that uh, probably about two hours or so that I was working in that. And uh, some of my uh, clothes I had on had bullet holes in them. And after the, uh, when the regimental medics uh, came in on the third wave, so they were supposed to assist us on Omaha Beach, easy red. But they couldn't land, firepower was so bad that they landed east of us a bit. And they uh, went to what they call exit one. That was a road that led off the beach that was the east of us, so the firepower wasn't quite as bad there as it was on Omaha Beach. So uh, when I saw them come in, uh, I had, we had been that rock, uh, the concrete there, we call it raised rock. It's the only thing that I've been able to see on that beach. The Germans had cut down all foliage and everything on the side of the hill. They had a clear view, just as clear as we have of the lake. But that one piece of rock, as we thought it was, was stood out there. And I told, uh, I'd been told Myers, one of our guys, uh, first I tried to tell uh, Rayleigh Poor and he got killed. Blood bullet went through his head. and. And I told Myers, which was a company aid men, but still on the beach, to let's try to get all the men we could that were wounded over behind that big rock. And we, and we did, we got quite a few there. And once the uh, regimental came on and they uh, were able to go where the firepower wasn't too much, they were kind of setting up a makeshift uh, aid station, which was no, no camp or anything. It was just a, a right out in the open. So then we, the walking wounded, we sent them in that direction. They could go down to where they were. So uh, after that, for a while, I was still uh, 
helping guys. And I went in. Uh, I don't know whether it was the uh, a boat coming in on the fourth wave or one that was late coming in on the third wave, but I'd gone in to get a guy that was drowning. He was hung up in the bog wire. And uh, I went under, and uh, the first time I went under, I couldn't get in blue from the bog wire. So I came up, got a little air, and I went under again. And it was this life preserver that was tangled up in the bog wire. So I unbuckled it and got him out. And as I was taking a turn to get him out of there, um, we were about four feet of water, I think. Uh, there, that uh, maybe, maybe a little less at that, but uh, when that boat came in, dropped it around, hit me right in the back, and uh, pushed me right to the bottom. I had the other guy in my bad arm hanging on to him. And I, let, I never did let go of it. And I, that's, that's when I uh, asked God to give me the uh, strength and let me save one more man, the guy I had. And I, 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 didn't, I thought I was a cone. And so that ramp on that boat went up. It could have gone up because the firepower was so severe that they figured they were all going to get killed. Or it could have been in the wrong slot and they wanted to move it. But so no one knows, but I think, as far as I'm concerned, uh, God answered me that time. Yeah. And after that, uh, of course, I took the guy and crawled out of there got into where a couple of my men were, and I passed out. That was it. Yeah. Next thing you know, you're back yeah. on, on a boat going back to England, yeah. Yeah. And I not, not often I have tell what happened after that. It was just going back hospital in England. Yeah. And I was over there for six or seven months, and uh, they were trying to have me in a cat for a while. And, uh, they uh, asked me to start a, we're in the 110th, no, 110th, no, yeah, 110th General Hospital, I think it was. It was a British, old British hospital, Army hospital staffed with American nurses and doctors. And when I got to where I could walk with a walker, uh, they asked me to organize a rehabilitation company, which was the 110th Rehabilitation Company. And I was acting first sergeant in that company and did that. So I went back to the States, and then I was in the hospital at Halloween General Hospital in New York. From there, I went to the Finney General Hospital in Thomasville, Georgia. From there, I went to the uh, Wells Convalescent Hospital in Daytona, Florida. In all, I was about a year before I got out. That's a remarkable story. And so that's, that's the way it was. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. You're very welcome. I know it's not the first time or won't be the last time you share it. 
but it's... I've done it probably 25 times in the last couple <laughs> of months or more. Well, you do it not only, you know, a credit to yourself, but to all those other guys you served with. One of the didn't... things that I, all the things that I've done recently, I hope that the people, the younger generation, that sees these and hears these things, realize that the freedom they have today, as we always say, is not free. Right. Many guys, many, many guys died so that they could have the freedom they have today. And they should make good use of that freedom. Do something in their life. Don't uh, ever think of, of burning the flag or disgracing this great country because those guys are out there that never had families like they can have today never had the enjoyment of things that they can have today. And they should get a mindset, in many cases, different than they have today, and not expect everything to be given to them. Be willing to work for it and work for the freedom in this country. And I hope those things, maybe that someone do that. Yeah. Great advice. Great wisdom, too. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. This podcast is a charitable supported public service. To learn more about the veteran featured on this podcast, please go to portraitsofhonor.com. There you'll find more stories, portraits, and ways to be part of this act of honor. Every day, a few hundred World War II veterans pass away and soon they'll all be gone. For the cost of a few cups of coffee each month, you can help us support the mission to give all these deserving veterans their portrait of honor and record and memorialize their stories forever. Please go to portraitsofhonor.com today to make your donation and show your support. Leave us a review and share this episode. By remembering the past, we can inspire a better future. Join us next time on Portraits of Honor.